Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When the rain is blowing in your face. Hello and welcome to The Life of a Song, a monthly music podcast from the FT. In each episode... We explore the biography of a different song, its origins and the different cover versions that it's undergone. I'm David Cheel. I edit the Life of a Song series in print. It appears in the Weekend FT and online every week. This month, I'm joined by Helen Brown. Hello. Helen writes about pop for the FT and others. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the song Make You Feel My Love, which Helen has written about. Uh, And also, just to say, you can read previous pieces by Helen and others in a new book, The Life of a Song, which is a compilation of 50 of the columns spanning all kinds of genres and uh, centuries of time. So, Helen... We're talking about the Bob Dylan song, Make You Feel My Love. Tell me about the interesting stuff about the recording sessions, about the album that it came from, Time Out of Mind. Well, they came out of some really troubled uh, recording sessions. Some people say Bob Dylan was in a bit of a funk before he came up with the songs for Time Out of Mind. He got divorced from his second wife. A tour manager says that during this period, he was also uh, coming off of drugs and alcohol. Um, and while he was sober, while he was sobering up, he became quite introverted. He was struggling for new material. Then he got snowed in at his Minnesota farm, and that's where suddenly all these songs started flowing. But he seemed to need some kind of conflict to draw them out of him. So he went to a producer called Daniel Lanois, who he'd worked with in uh, the 80s on his album Oh Mercy. And those have been really difficult sessions. Both men have big egos, big visions. Daniel Lanois is the guy who made those huge atmospheric soundscapes for U2, uh, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, he had a strong vision of what he wanted. So did Bob Dylan. They'd really rowed during the making of Oh Mercy. And uh, when Dylan wanted to be pulled out of his funk in the in 1997, it was Lanoir that he went to again. I was just rereading Dylan's masterful autobiographical book, Chronicles. And uh, he writes there a lot about Oh Mercy. And they have a strange relationship, don't they? Because there was talk in that in the book of uh, Lanoir smashing guitars. And at, at one point, uh, Dylan just goes off on a motorbike trip. Yeah, um, <laughs> during, yeah well, during the recording of the album. Dylan um, says he never did mind uh, Lanois smashing guitars so long as it wasn't one of his. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they they both had these these very strong visions, and it was interesting that Lanois is famous for creating these really haunting uh, soundscapes where instruments often don't sound like themselves. They're layered, they're textured. Mm. Um, whereas Dylan went into making Time Out of Mind wanting to produce something uh, very vintage sounding, very Buddy Holly, raw, live. That's what he wanted. So Lanois was a really unusual choice to go to for that. And yeah, things got very intense in the recording studio. Bob Dylan brought in his musicians. Lanois brought in his own 
Bob Dylan uh, got everything set up with Lanoir in California. The engineer set up everything in this beautiful studio. He'd fine-tuned everything. And then Dylan suddenly said, you know, I can't work here. We all need to go to Miami. <laughs> now, they've got all this vintage equipment that they're not going to be able to have access to in uh, in Miami. So the poor engineer has to load up a van, drive <laughs> drive from California to Miami. Then Dylan arrives. They get a sound that Lanoir likes, and Dylan refuses to reproduce this sound uh, Bob Dylan has the idea of never playing the same song twice. So as soon as he hits this perfect noise that Lanois thrilled with, Lan- uh, Dylan will tease Lanois by never reproducing it again. <laughs> they never hear that sound again. So they would end up with 12 musicians in the studio, uh, an organist with a gammy leg who kept falling over these broken guitars. But yeah, out of this chaos, Lanois did manage to produce something that does sound very spare and stripped down. The storms are raging on the rolling sea And on the highway of regret The winds of change are blowing wild and free So Helen, that's kind of, it's a beautiful song but it's quite untypical of the rest of the album, isn't it? It stands out and quite a few critics really dismissed it at the time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a dark album. It's an album which saw Dylan, he's 56 at the time, confronting mortality. He got very annoyed when people said he was confronting his own mortality. Mm. He likes to point out that actually it was everybody's mortality uh, he was addressing. Um, it's got that that track on it called Not Dark Yet, which yes. is terribly, I mean, it's, it's just bleak, isn't it? It's Yeah, I mean, you know, it starts off with the track Love Sick. I mean, mm. it's a grim album and then suddenly... At track nine, after all this, you know, I've had enough of love, uh, everything's miserable, we're on the last pages, we suddenly get the sort of like the sun breaks through the clouds and he does this very simple, some people would say saccharine, love song of pure devotion. And as I said, some of the critics were not impressed by it. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. They talk about greeting card sentimentality. And I can hear both of those things. There are times when the song annoys me too. It's sort of, you know, after the complexity, it, it's a bit irksome. It is, it can be cloying. And then other times it just, the simplicity of it, the hymnal quality of it, the repetition of it will just catch me off guard and there'll be tears. Yeah. And um, there's something a little bit unusual about the, uh, the the key that this song was written in, Helen. That's right. Well, it's an unusual choice of key signature for Dylan. It's in C sharp, C sharp with a capo on the first fret if anyone's trying to play it and uh what dylan does when he's writing a song people say he types out the lyrics first and then he he meditates and rather than meditating on numbers or images dylan will meditate on an old folk or blues song and he'll play that over and over until it morphs into something new and original that works with his lyrics okay And the fact that this song is in C-sharp suggests to me that he'd shifted key signatures quite a few times to find the right sound. So it sounds to me, there's something of the kind of well-worn pebble about this song. It sounds like he's chased it through a few key signatures to get it where he wanted it. And um, some other people picked up on it pretty quickly. Billy Joel actually released a single of it before Bob Dylan's single came out. Is that right? Yes, yes. He he did the single and then Graham Parsons jumped on it. I mean, these were songwriters who could hear the single potential, I think, before anybody else did. Mm. So shall we have a listen to uh, Billy Joel's version? I know you haven't made your mind up yet
Penny Joel does actually tweak the tune a little bit there, doesn't he? He does, and I really, I do actually really like uh, the drums that he brings in. Those, mm. you know, that sort of beat to it. Yeah, uh, and then not long afterwards, I forget the year. Brian Ferry had a go, and Brian Ferry has a long, long history with Bob Dylan covers, doesn't he? Going back to um, Hard Rain on, yeah. on on his These Foolish Things album, he also did a, a whole album of Dylan. That's covers right, called, yes. called uh, Dylan-esque. But anyway, he, he had a go at it with a, what I think is a rather lovely version. I would go hungry, I'd go black and blue I'd go crawling down the avenue There's nothing that I wouldn't do To make you feel my love so it seems to me, Helen, that Brian Ferry there is almost channeling a kind of Daniel Lanois quality in the song, that sort of mysterious, swampy sort of feel. Yeah, that that haunted, ethereal mm. sound. Um, and yet, I think the interesting thing about Ferry is that he, maybe because of the context of Ferry as we know him, he seems to make it purely a romantic song. It's that sort of hungover morning after yeah. regret, nostalgia for lost romantic love. Whereas the Dylans, I think, is more equivocal. Dylan obviously has sung a lot about spirituality. And I think the Dylan version can be interpreted both as a romantic love song and as a as a Christian song or Judeo-Christian, however he defines himself at the time. And I think it's really interesting. Like For the rest of the album, Time Out of Mind, Dylan is sort of on the move. He's a guy battling you know he's always traveling he's always moving onwards and then suddenly when it comes to make you feel my love he's the still place mm. he's offering somebody else safe harbor a, a still place and that could almost be you know sort of a the the embrace of spirituality and it's sort of what he spoke about in his nobel prize acceptance speech where he's talking a lot about how his songs have always been in the tradition of moby dick and the odyssey he's always sung about a one lone traveler but then he ends up poignantly in his Nobel Prize speech talking about the image of Ishmael, the hero of Moby Dick, clinging to a coffin mm. in the sea. And there's something about that that final still space mm. that I think exists in his interpretation of the song that I don't think you hear in most of the other interpretations. Do we know anything about his personal life at the time? He was no longer married, is that right? He was no longer married. He was sobering up. He was, well, some people say he was sobering up. That's um, according to a tour manager at the time. So he was definitely going through a period of introspection. And mm. he's always happy to say that you can interpret his songs on any levels and curiously in in chronicles he's ambivalent about whether or not his songs are autobiographical because he yeah. he, he hates people reading stuff into his songs and yet at the same time he says actually the songs are are autobiographical yeah he's he's all i mean he's the ultimate trickster songwriter isn't he mm. i thought it was interesting when he had his paintings on display recently that he said uh, i've put these out there because what I'm seeing is what you're seeing. There can be no space for misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Yeah. You know, so he clearly wanted to fix something down at some point, but he never wants to fix anything about his songs. So uh, after a while, Adele comes along and uh, <laughs> and does her version of the song. I'm not sure of the order of uh, events, whether she sang it live or recorded it. What happened first? So I think I think she was played it first, and she was played it during a period of personal despair. She'd been signed. She's out in New York with her manager. She's really struggling to get her her first album down. She can't get the songs out, and 
while she's feeling this bitter dis- disappointment, and there's a storm in New York. Her manager puts on this song. It's one of his favourites. She loves the melody. Cannot work out what the man is singing. Doesn't like his voice. So she then, I think, she googled the lyrics, read them, thought they were absolutely beautiful. I think she thought they deserved a bit more clarity than they got from uh, <laughs> from Dylan. And it's actually went on to be her version of the Dylan song. Went on to become her favourite song on her first record. When the rain is blowing in your face And the whole world is on your case I could offer you a warm embrace To make you feel my love Wow, that's really beautiful. What are your thoughts on that, Helen? Yeah, I like it. And I like the fact that something in Adele's voice relaxes in that mm. song and what I've noticed is in a lot of her other songs she's she's asking for something it says hello should I give up should I keep chasing pavements and here she's just offering something and it takes a little bit of tension out of her voice in mm. quite a restful way she allows a, a little bit of that growl to sneak in there's just like the shoulders coming down yeah she's you're right she sort of relaxes into it doesn't she yeah and it became a live favorite I saw her um, earlier this year at Wembley Stadium a memorable show, and she dedicated it to the victims of uh, the Grenfell Tower fire, which was very moving and very beautiful and well-received. She's done this uh, before, hasn't she? Yeah, she's dedicated it to the memory of Amy Winehouse. Her version of it is on the uh, fundraising album Song for the Philippines. You know, she's kind of converted it into an all-purpose memorial song. It's a song of support and consolation, when she's doing that with mm. the song, I think she's taking it out of the realm of the romantic song and turning it into, yes, a kind of group it's a, therapy. It's a sort of arm round the shoulder um, song. Yeah, it's um, a, a stadium hug. Yes. <laughs> Do you think it sort of um, in any way cheapens it that she's sort of d- dedicated it to different causes? No, I, I don't. I think um, I think she pulls it off because she's sincere. I yeah. think anyone who hears the way she speaks before she starts to sing. Anyone Mm. who hears her emotional connection with any of those events, I think the Mm. one thing you can say about Adele is she means what she says. And that's interestingly what Lanois wanted to bring out of Dylan. He said when he first was approached by this, you know, national treasure, he said, my job was to make him sincere. My job was to do him justice. And I think for the same reason, I think Adele is a very sincere human being. No, it came over uh, when I saw her at Wembley, it came over as being totally authentic and totally sincere and really moving. So how has her version been received um, in, in, in the wider world? <laughs> well, it's been enormously successful. And uh, I read recently that this is now one of the most popular songs for sort of millennials choosing tracks in uh, at the end of karaoke sessions. And they're all channeling Adele. So it's been hugely popular. However, Dylan fans have obviously sniffed, <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as is their want. Yes. Yeah, and uh, when somebody confronted Adele with this, or someone said, I killed Bob Dylan with my cover, she said, I, you know, I think I saved him. I think he's made about a million pounds out of my cover, and I think he should buy me a watch. <laughs> <laughs> OK, on that note, thank you very much, Helen. Let's uh, wrap it up for this month. The Life of a Song podcast will be back in November. In the meantime, you can read Helen's piece on uh, Make You Feel My Love, just to say also that other people have called it To Make You Feel My Love, but anyway, um, tiny difference, uh, and others in the Life of a Song series at ft.com slash song. Thanks very much, Helen. Thanks for having me. 
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.